Well, we are continuing our study through the book of 2 Timothy this morning. So if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 14 through 16. We're, we're mainly going to focus our attention on verse 15, but we're going to read those three verses for context. So if you're able to do so, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 uh, to 16, Paul writes to Timothy, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, if you haven't been here with us throughout our time in this uh, study of this book, this letter from Paul to Timothy and the church, uh, one of the things that we've noticed uh, over our time in studying this book is that uh, much of the letter up to this point in chapter 2 has been taken up with, uh, you might call them twin themes, that of faithfully bearing witness to the gospel of Christ and the corresponding theme of, of being willing to suffer for its sake. That is what Paul exhorts Timothy to do, to bear witness for Christ and his gospel by the power of God and be willing uh, to suffer, if necessary, even to, to do so as he does so. So these two things really in some ways always go together. If you're not willing to bear reproach or affliction for Christ, you will most certainly at times fail to bear faithful witness to Christ. Paul sums this, uh, this concern up back in chapter 1, verse 8, when he writes the following. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but what? Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So he's, he's really calling Timothy in, in throughout the letter, share in suffering with him. Timothy was well aware of the sufferings that Paul was enduring even as he wrote this letter that he was awaiting execution in Rome for preaching the gospel of Christ faithfully. And he's telling Timothy, not only, you know, in a sense, is he passing the baton of the gospel ministry to Timothy, but he's saying, be willing to have what's happening to me to do it happen to you as well. Don't count your life uh, dear to yourself in such a way that it keeps you back, holds you back from preaching the gospel. And so these themes of witnessing for Christ and suffering for Christ are found throughout the letter. But much of what follows in the rest of this chapter and parts of the next, while not unrelated to those two themes, has to do specifically with avoiding quarreling over words and instead faithfully ministering the word of God. That is what he calls Timothy to do. And I think here throughout chapter 2 for sure, He's telling Timothy these two things are mutually exclusive. It is impossible for a man of God to rightly minister the word of God, rightly handle the word of truth, and also be involved uh, at the same time in quarreling over, over words. Paul speaks of quarreling uh, not only in our text in verse 14, but he speaks of it two more times at, towards the end of the chapter in chapter 2. So I think it's clear when you read the rest of the chapter He's still dealing with the same issue in some, in some ways. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 through 23 rather to 26, this is what he says. He says to Timothy, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Why? You know that they breed, here it is again, quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, 
but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. In other words, shouting at someone isn't going to bring them into the kingdom. Uh, arguing in some sense, not that there isn't a place for apologetics and polemics and arguing and contending for the faith. The Bible tells us to do all these things. But that's not the same thing as arguing over words or being contentious or quarrelsome. It must be God himself who gives uh, repentance even to those who are dealing with teaching false things. So it sounds like quarreling over words and treating the word of God as if it were a means of self-display of the preacher, which is what he's talking about here, that that is not a recent invention. It's easy for us here in the 21st century with all the false teaching and the cults and all these things around us to kind of act like, well, this is some new thing. Uh, and what, what a pity it is for us in our day and age that we have to deal with this. If only we could turn the clock back and go back to the good old days of the early church in Paul's day, why we wouldn't have to worry about such things. And Paul says, no. Even in, even in the, first, the middle of the first century when Paul and the other apostles were still ministering, there were people in and around the church that made it their quote-unquote ministry, so-called, to quarrel about words and to try to, you know, in a way show off their abilities in their handling of God's word. And Paul says, you can't do that. You can't be somebody who is known as a quarreler over words and showing, kind of showing off in self-display. You have to handle the word of truth Correctly, uh, showing oneself to be clever has no place in the life and ministry of God's ministers. Now, we're going to focus most of our time this morning, Lord willing, on verse 15, where Paul tells Timothy what he should do in light of what he shouldn't do in ministering the word of God. Uh, he does tell him in verses 14 and 16 what not to do and what kinds of things to avoid. In fact, when you read you know, verses 14 uh, and following, it almost feels like he's going from point to point, like point A to point B. Don't do this, do this. Don't do this, do this. Stay away from this and do this. It's kind of the way his instructions are going uh, in the chapter. But look at verse 15 once again where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Paul says there to Timothy, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So here... In this one little verse, you know, if you're in Awanas or have any, any, uh, any involvement in the Awana program, you might know this is the verse they get their name from. Uh, I forget what the second A stands for, but it's like a worker not ashamed. And there's another, uh, I forget what the second A in Awana stands for. But that's, that's where they get the name of the, of the group from, the uh, ministry from. But in this one verse, Paul encapsulates for us and for Timothy what the attitude, the aim, and the labors of the minister of the word of God must be. And while you and I, everybody in this room, every believer in Christ, uh, all believers are not necessarily called to be preachers or teachers of God's word, there is still a great deal of application here for every sincere Christian. For every Christian is called to delight in and meditate upon the word of God. Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 tells us that every single Christian is likewise called in some way to bear witness for Christ and his gospel. Matthew chapter 10, Acts 8.4. Acts 8.4 tells us that when the church was, was being persecuted and scattered throughout the world, what did they do as they went? 
the disciples, as they were scattered throughout the, the, the different regions of the world, preached the gospel wherever they went. Even the fact that they were in some ways on the run for their lives didn't stop that. It didn't make that unnecessary. So as we go through our text this morning, I ask that you might pay careful attention to what lessons there may be here for you regarding your own study of Scripture, regarding your own uh, seeking to obey God's word and his commands, and even regarding your own testimony to others about the word of God and especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we see here in verse 15 is that the minister of God, his top priority must be first and foremost and always seeking the approval of God. God's approval is the thing that must matter most uh, to any elder or pastor, really any Christian at all. God's approval must be the thing that we search, seek after. Paul says there in verse 15 in the beginning, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. Now what he's saying here is, do your best to be, to be shown that you're approved by God. You're not being approved by someone else and showing it to God. He wants us to, to make the priority that we're approved by God. That is what he wants Timothy to make his priority above all things. Even if everybody else hates what he's doing, and Paul certainly suffered for what he did in ministry, he wants it to be known that God's approval must take the priority. And that's certainly true of every single believer in Christ as well. Whatever, whatever it is that God has called you to do, you may never be called to teach a Bible study. Maybe you will. You may never be called to be a pastor or an elder. Most Christians aren't. But whatever God has called you to do, you are to seek God's approval and seek to please God in, in doing that and carrying it out. You are to glorify God in whatever you do. Look at how widely the Apostle Paul, for example, applies this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 25. He applies this principle to all kinds of different areas of our lives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this, what? This pleases the Lord. And he goes on, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, that is a fancy word for a slave of some kind, an actual slave. You know, we, we think about we don't like our jobs. Well, this is even worse than that. But he says, bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. There it is. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. All through that text, the point is, seek to please God. Seek the approval of God in whatever you do and glorify him in whatever area of life that you happen to be called by God uh, to do. So whatever God has called you to do in life, in your family, in your work, in or out of the home, you are to seek the approval, the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost, rather than that of men. Now, in order for a minister of the gospel to present himself as one who is approved by God in the work of ministry, that means, among other things, that people-pleasing cannot be his goal. People-pleasing cannot and must not be the goal 
of a pastor or an elder. And why is that? You, one, you can't keep everybody happy. If you seek to try to make everybody else around you happy, no one is really going to be happy. But if you seek to make God happy and please him, uh, that's, that is what we should be resting in. Frankly, any minister who seeks to do that to make everybody happy will inevitably fail to show himself approved by God. If he's seeking someone else's approval, he can't be seeking God's approval at the same, at the same time. In fact, later on in this very epistle, which is only four short chapters, Paul tells Timothy that the preaching of the word of God and doing so faithfully involves what? Chapter 4, verse 2, he says it involves reproving, rebuking, and exhorting with complete patience and teaching. Reproving and rebuking are not exactly things that are apt to win the approval of others. No one likes to be reproved. No one enjoys being rebuked. And that is a necessary part in some ways of ministering the word of God to God's people. So if, if, our, if our main worry is, is pleasing and winning the approval of men, uh, that's not the way to do it. And what's going to happen? You're going to shy away from doing those things that God had called Timothy and every faithful pastor to do. But the godly must receive such things willingly as being given to them for their good. We've been reading Proverbs for some time now in, in uh, the service. Back in Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 to 10, this is what it says. It says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. But here it is. Reprove a wise man and he will what? He will love you. Uh, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning and then he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So, you know, most people don't accept or take rebuke or reproof to heart. But the wise man, the one who's wise in Christ, the believer, must be someone that does that. We should all be willing to accept those kinds of things as for our good. And so I'll say, do you, do you highly esteem or even love, it's as the proverb says, do you love those who are willing to speak the truth in love to you and to at times even say difficult things that are needful for your growth in grace? Be thankful if you have someone in your life, a family member, a loved one, a friend, a brother and sister in Christ. If you have somebody who's actually willing to do that, uh, thank God for them because most of us don't do that. Most of us on a regular basis we don't want anything to do with confrontation. We don't want to say anything unpleasant or that might ruffle any feathers. And so most of us kind of avoid those things. But if you have somebody who's willing, I hope in a kind way, to say those things that are difficult to you, thank God for them. And maybe tell that person uh, that you're thankful for them being in your life and being willing to do such a thing. Anyway, not only that, but 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 to 5 Remember, he's still dealing with the same issues throughout the letter in some ways. Right after telling Timothy in verse 2 of chapter 4, after all this buildup, he tells him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, all these things. And then in verses 3 to 5, he tells him, uh, right after that, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
Uh, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So he tells him you know, about seeking God's approval and ministering God's word the right way. And he tells them, you know, people aren't going to always endure it. So you have to be ready for it and just persevere in it. So in other words, if Timothy were to fall into the snare of people-pleasing, he would have to abandon sound teaching and abandon speaking the truth from the pulpit in some ways. Uh, May we, by God's grace, never be known as a church that will not endure sound teaching, but rather one that demands it and hungers for it. Well, the second thing Paul says in verse uh, 15 The second thing that Timothy is to have as his aim uh, is to to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed for his work. He says a faithful minister of the gospel must be a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Now, the Greek of this phrase could literally just be translated a worker unashamed. We kind of fill in in the gap there by saying with no need to be ashamed. Now, this follows very closely from what Paul said in the first part of verse 15, doesn't it? For it's the minister who has diligently shown himself to be approved by God in his work, who is then also a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Now, Paul here uses the same word for worker as Jesus does back in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, where Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven being like the master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers, same work, laborers for his vineyard laborers for his vineyard. It's the same word used here uh, that Paul uses. It's the same word that is often used as Jesus uses it of an agricultural worker or a farmer. Sounds like very hard work that, uh, that a pastor and an elder is supposed to be involved in uh, for that. It sounds like it is not a glamour job. It is hard, laborious work in some ways. So to a large part being approved by God and having no reason to be ashamed before him in the work of ministry as, as anything else Consist in working hard at it as unto the Lord. Paul, you might know, Paul speaking of his own labors in the gospel says the following in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. So Paul was not embarrassed or ashamed to say, I worked hard. And when you read the book of Acts, you get the impression that Paul was maybe even underselling it a bit. Paul worked very hard and went without in many ways and traveled all over the ancient world preaching the gospel. In fact, elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 12:15, Paul talks about being willing to, quote, spend and be spent for the souls of God's people. He was willing to burn himself out at both ends of the candle, so to speak, if it meant God's people might be built up and people might hear the gospel and so ministry like much of life rightly involves hard work in many ways but perhaps none more important than the handling of the scriptures and the preaching and teaching of God's word that's going to be our third point shortly Lord willing uh, but for the time being let it suffice to say that it takes great diligence and effort in order to rightly teach and preach God's word it takes diligent effort and work to discern what a text means what it is saying what God is saying to us as his people there what it means, how it applies to our daily lives, and so forth. That doesn't just kind of happen. Uh, I know some, some that you've heard, you might think to yourself, it, it seems they make it look so easy, like they just walk up the pulpit steps, we don't have steps, you know, and make it up as they go, but that is not even how Paul did it, and certainly not how Paul expected Timothy 
to do it as well. I think maybe that's why so many who occupy pulpits in our churches fail to do this. They fail to do the work necessary to preach God's word faithfully. And so instead they preach other things. They preach themselves. They preach novel ideas. They preach whatever the latest fad happens to be at the time. They preach politics or any other kinds of things that, that itch the ears that people are willing to, are looking to hear rather than preaching the simple truth of God's word and the truth of the gospel. And just as Paul told Timothy back in 2 Timothy 1.8 that he was not to be ashamed of the gospel or the testimony of Christ, uh, even so here he exhorts him to labor in such a way in Christ's vineyard that he would have no cause to be ashamed of his work in the gospel as well. Well, that brings us to the third and final point, which is uh, the importance of rightly handling the word of truth in ministry, rightly handling the word of truth. You could say that in some ways, this is what is required of the minister of God's word in order for him to show himself approved by God and to be a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Because if you wrongly handle the word of truth, it is not something that God is going to approve and it certainly would be a cause for shame in, in the ministry of the gospel to distort God's word in any way. Now, the phrase that Paul uses here has been translated a number of different ways. The King James Version, for example, you might be familiar with that. It talks about rightly dividing the word of truth. So people sometimes have taken that to mean that you've got to you know, outline the passage a certain way or you know, know, know how to divide up chapters in the Bible. That's not really what Paul is talking about here. Um, the Greek word that Paul uses here has the idea of cutting straight. you know. Uh, and so just like in English, a lot of uh, sayings uh, and figures of speech uh, take on a life of their own that we sometimes don't even think about what the original saying must have been talking about. Uh, we sometimes talk about shoot it to me straight, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, it might seem kind of like an odd metaphor for preaching and teaching God's word, but the general meaning I think is clear enough. Think about Think about a carpenter. I am not one of those, but uh, if you ever worked with wood, uh, what do they say? Measure twice and, and cut once. You want to cut straight lines, otherwise you're wasting wood. A good, good carpenter doesn't waste wood. Uh, you think about a farmer. Those of you who have been involved in that, when you think about plowing a field, remember that, that saying Jesus said that, it, that the person who puts his hand to the plow and looks back isn't worthy of the kingdom? And you might think, well, what, what does that mean? Well, maybe you've never run a plow, but think about plowing a field. And you're looking back, what's going to happen to your rows? You're going to be all over the place. Your field is going to be a complete mess. You're going to waste ground and waste seed. And so in some way, it's the same kind of a thing there. You want to, you want to cut straight. You want to handle things, handle things properly. So uh, the preacher of the word must take care that uh, he makes sure that he too cuts, so to speak, the word of God in straight lines. In his commentary, William Hendrickson writes the following. I think he sums it up well. He says, The man who handles the word of truth properly does not change, pervert, mutilate, or distort it. Neither does he use it with a wrong purpose in mind. On the contrary, he prayerfully interprets Scripture in the light of Scripture. He courageously yet lovingly applies its glorious meaning to concrete conditions and circumstances. Doing this for the glory of God the conversion of sinners, and the edification of believers. Now, Paul, Paul contrasts this with those ways of handling God's word that are not suited to the edification of the hearers. You could say that in verses 14 to 16, Paul kind of bookends around verse 15 the things you shouldn't do. And right in the middle, he tells him what he should avoid this, avoid this, but do 
But do this. Uh, instead, of in, instead of verse 14, instead of quarreling over words to the ruin of your hearers, and instead of indulging in profane, empty babbling, which he says in verse 16 will lead people into more and more ungodliness, he exhorts Timothy unto the clear and plain exposition and application of Scripture, which is the word of truth. And this certainly implies that teaching and preaching of the word of God faithfully this way is what will tend in the providence of God to the salvation, the edification, and growth in godliness of the hearers. In other words, you don't want to ruin the hearers. You don't want to lead in your teaching and preaching in some ways, tend towards the growth in ungodliness. He says you have to handle the word of God properly in such a way that it edifies God's people and builds them up in the faith and builds God's people up in godliness. No, no clever word quarrels can do that. No interesting speculations or myths can do that. No new programs or clever techniques can accomplish that. Only the bold, clear teaching and preaching of the simple, plain truth of the word of God will do for those things. And so that is what we should look for. That is what we should require and demand. It may not be entertaining. It may not be something that that itches the ear or, or gets our interest in certain things. It may not feel like we're getting the inside scoop that we, we so crave at times, but we need the simple and bold teaching of God's word to build us up in the faith. Christ's sheep essentially must be fed and not entertained. And that is something that goes on in the church today. And I think when you read Paul's words here in 2 Timothy 2, you get the idea that's not anything new either. Entertaining the goats is something that's been going on for 2,000 years, maybe even more than that. And what does this mean for you and me when you're sitting under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God from Sunday to Sunday? It means, among other things, I think, that you must make it your aim to be like the Bereans. If you're familiar with the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, uh, Acts 17 verses 10 to 12, Paul gives us a little snapshot of what went on when Paul preached the gospel in Berea. Acts 17, 10 to 12, Luke says here, he says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, Luke says, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. How were they more noble? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, Many of them therefore believed, and not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So what did, what did the Bereans do that made them more noble than those in Thessalonica? The first thing they did was they eagerly received the word of God. Couldn't wait to hear it. They eagerly received the word of God as it was preached and taught by Paul and Silas, that's where you have to begin. Do you look forward to the preaching and teaching of God's word every Lord's Day? I hope that you do, and I hope that's the case no matter who's doing the preaching. I hope you disregard the person standing in the pulpit, and you do what they did. Paul was teaching them, and they still searched up the scriptures to see if what he said was so. And that is how we should do it as well. But they eagerly received the word of God. Secondly, they were in the practice of examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they received it eagerly, they listened, they followed along, they followed up with reading the scriptures for themselves to see if what Paul had said 
uh, with what the Bible actually said. What does that mean? It means if you're a believer in Christ, and if you're a visitor, if you're not even a believer, you know, we don't expect people that don't know the Lord to bring a Bible, but if you're a believer, bring your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, take one off the back table there, take it home, you can have it. Read it. Have it open when someone's reading the scriptures in the service, when someone is teaching or preaching. Have it open. Follow along and check it. Not checking it in a suspicious way. They were eager to receive it, but they checked. And you have to think, what was Paul's main message? He taught all the counsel of God, right? He says in the book of Acts, he he was, he was innocent of the blood of all men. Why? For he did not shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't just teach one little thing or one main thing and leave the rest of scripture untouched. But he preached Christ in all of his fullness from the Old Testament primarily. And so what did the people in the synagogue do? These, these God-fearing Jews heard Paul preach and they went back and they checked the scriptures. What does it tell you about Paul's preaching? It tells you he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for our salvation, and he preached that from the Old Testament. That was his message. He preached that Jesus was the, the Messiah who was to come, that, he, that his, his sufferings and his glory, as we looked at last week in Luke chapter 24, his sufferings and his glory were the things spoken of throughout the Old Testament. And so what did they do? They went back and checked. And then what does it say happened? They believed. Many of them believed because that's really what the scripture says. And so what does it say about the ministry of the word uh, today and any day? It must be about Christ himself at the center, and it must be based upon the word of God. It cannot be from men's own ideas. So they, they studied the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul said were so. So no matter who is doing the preaching, even the apostle Paul, if he were here, do not take our word for anything. Whoever is standing in this pulpit, whether it be me or someone else, don't take my word for squat. Don't take anybody's word for anything. Check everything by the scriptures. That is what you have to do. Search the Bible. See if what was said by the preacher is true to the word of God. And if it is, take it to heart Believe it and seek to conform your life to it, to the glory of Christ. And if it's not, reject it. If what is taught in the pulpit here or anywhere else is not true to the scriptures, it is to be rejected. And what will happen if we do that? Luke says that of those who did this in the city of Berea, he says, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. People of all walks of life, whether they were poor or well-to-do, it didn't matter. Uh, and even says a lot of the Greeks, so Jews and Greeks alike that were meeting in the synagogue heard the scriptures, heard the gospel of Christ, and many of them, and notice it, said, it doesn't just say, oh, by the way, many of them believe. There's a little word right in there that kind of connects the one thing to what went before. It says many of them therefore believed. Now God has to grant it. Salvation is of the Lord, Right? But what is it? God uses means. And one of the things he used was them searching the scriptures. Because faith, what does Paul say? Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, and hearing by the word of Christ. So if you want people to become Christians and come to faith in Christ, it's the scriptures they need, not our own fancy ideas and such. That's the power of God and the salvation that's in the gospel, as Paul says in Romans 1.16. You get them the word of God and God does things. And many will hear 
and believe. So if you and I as believers and as a church, if we would see conversions, if we would see people saved from their sins through faith in Jesus Christ, we need the clear, faithful, ongoing exposition of Scripture. If we would see God's people being built up in the faith and growing in godliness, we also need the clear, faithful preaching of the Word of God. And nothing else will do. And so Paul, throughout this letter, exhorts Timothy and us uh, to do that and to appreciate it and to seek after that. Amen.